Good morning. Parked on the side of the road, waiting to catch speeding drivers, a state trooper sees a car puttering along at 22 miles per hour. Thinking the driver is as dangerous as a speeder, the state trooper turns on his lights and pulls the car over. As he approaches the vehicle, the officer notices there are five elderly ladies inside, two in the front and three in the back, wide-eyed and white as ghosts. The driver, obviously confused, says, Officer, I don't understand. I was going the exact speed limit. What seems to be the problem? The trooper, trying to contain a chuckle, explained to her that 22 was the highway route number, <laughs> not the speed limit. A bit embarrassed, the woman grins and thanks the officer for pointing out her error. Before you go, the officer says, I have to ask, is everyone in this car okay? These women seem awfully shaken. Oh, she answered, they'll be all right, sir. We just got off of Route 127. <laughs> I think all of us have been on Route 127. And maybe you already have this morning. And I just so thankful for the opportunity for us to be together this, today and just kind of slow down and get off of Route 127 and relax and sit at the feet of Jesus and encourage one another to love and good works. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for just our health and strength to be here, first of all. Thank you for the freedom we have to meet, Lord, uh, here in our country. Thank you for how much you love us. And thank you for how much you want us to be like your son. I just love you that you are relentless in conforming us to the image of your son, Lord. Uh, so, Lord, just continue to speak to our hearts. Uh, continue to... Allow your word to go down deep into our hearts and in good soil and take root and bear fruit. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, we looked at living like Jesus in that our key verse, and we'll look at it in a minute, is those who say they live in God should live as Jesus did. I love I love the word of God because so much of it is so direct. Uh, Mark Twain says, it's not what I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me. It's what I do understand. And this verse is very understandable. Those who say they live in God should live as Jesus did. And so this morning, let's look at loving like Jesus. Again, this is our our verse, Romans eight twenty nine. for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Again, God's overriding purpose in our life, and I think we tend to forget this. He is after us having, since we are his children, he wants us to have a strong family resemblance to him. So he wants us to be like Jesus. And of course, that's the best thing in the world for us is to be like Jesus. Uh, 
we were at, we're staying at this lovely bed and breakfast and talking with this lady this morning. And so she asked me, we, we, she said, what are you doing here? So we told her I was speaking to some Christian women today. And she said, well, what are you speaking on? And I said, well, I'm speaking on living like Jesus. And she said, well, that's a good, interesting topic. And so we had a good conversation about that. She agreed we all need to live like Jesus. I think she knows Jesus. I'm not sure. But we gave her a gospel track. So if she doesn't, she'll know how. Anyway, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us. And offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So this morning, we're just going to look at just a taste of what it is to love like Jesus. That we are to live a life filled with love. So how did Jesus love us? This is Jesus in the upper room to his disciples. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I read years and years ago, a pastor wrote, you know, you don't hear people say, my, how those Christians love each other. (laughs) Sometimes it's uh, hard. Um, We hear of the... Churches being split and Christians upset and, but Jesus said that the hallmark of us should be how much we love each other, how much we care for each other, how important the body of Christ is to him and to us. Jesus loved us sacrificially unconditionally, and eternally. I'd like for us to go back in history to the mid-1100 B.C. The purple section of this map is Moab. And you can see Judah and Israel and Palestine, all of the map here right on the Mediterranean And about in mid-1100 B.C., Elimelech and Naomi and his two sons moved to Moab because there was a famine in Judah. There, while they were there, his two sons married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, this is Ruth. I was with some dear friends one time, and we were in this shop, and we were just looking around, and I saw this statue, and I looked at it, and it's a statue of Ruth. You can see she's got her bag for gleaning, and I just stood there mesmerized because Ruth is probably my very, very, Ruth and Mary of Bethany are my favorite women in the Bible. And um, 
I just stared at, I said, you all come look, this is Ruth, look at her. And so unbeknownst to me, as we left the store, they had bought this and given it to me. So this is in my home to just to remind me of Ruth. In the course of 10 years, as they lived there, the two sons and Elimelech died, leaving three widows, which is devastating in the Middle East. Naomi heard that the fan was over in Judah, so she wants to return. And as the custom, and it still is in this, in this day, the daughter-in-laws essentially belong to the mother-in-law. And so because Naomi wanted to return, Orpah and Ruth were going to go with her. And at some point in the journey, probably not too far along, Naomi stops and she turns to her daughters-in-law and she said, please return to Moab. You have treated my sons kindly and you have treated me kindly. And if you go with me, there is no future for you. Because they were going to be foreign women in the Israelite culture. And I looked up the social scale at that time. And the lowest rung on the ladder in, the, in that society was a foreign widow. I mean, they were the lowest of the low. And um, there was, she said, you can't wait for me to have children again and to, to, to marry. So she was very gracious to them and... Um, just tells them they have her permission to leave. She tells them, uh, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And Naomi has said in effect to Ruth and Orpah, you have to save your life. In order to save your life, you have to lose me. My life is over. This is the way Naomi felt. The Lord, another translation says, the Lord has dealt harshly with me. But I think we all are familiar with these beautiful words that Ruth said to her. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And I I don't do this, but there are times I... I well, no. I just think it's good to remind daughters-in-law that this was said to a mother-in-law. <laughs> so in essence, Paul Miller writes, he said, Ruth responds with, no, my life is over. Death is at the center of Ruth's love. And we talked last night about dying to self and surrendering our life to God. And if we want to love as Jesus loved, we have also have to die. Because Jesus died sacrificially for us. It costs to love. So... Orpah returns, I think one of the saddest verses in scripture, it says, and Orpah returned to her gods. And you know what? We never hear of Orpah again, do we? 
But Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you, Naomi. And so they arrive in Bethlehem, and Naomi's friends are so pleased to see her. And they say, oh, Naomi, welcome back. We're so glad you're here. And she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasure or joy. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt harshly with me. I went out full, meaning her husband and sons, but I have come back empty. Now, I've thought about that. Here she is surrounded by her friends, and here's Ruth standing right by her. And Naomi says, I went out full, but I came back empty. If I had been Ruth, I would have tugged on her (laughs) sleeve and said, what about me? (laughs) What about me? But you know what? There's no scripture that says, Ruth said, I'm here with you. Because Ruth came with Naomi to serve her. As, As Paul Miller said, death was at the center of Ruth's life because she knew there was no future for her. She would spend the rest of her life gleaning and taking care of a bitter mother-in-law. But Ruth, because she had died to herself, she didn't tug on Naomi's sleeve. It was okay because she loved Naomi. Ephesians 4.2 says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. You all, I have memorized this verse. It's deep in my heart. It is one of the best verses in the world to have in your heart for the Holy Spirit to remind you to make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's, that's what we do. Always be humble and gentle. This is what uh, Ruth was doing at that time. It's what she did her whole life. So after get, they get settled in Bethlehem, Ruth goes out to glean in a field and I love the scriptures. It says she just happened into the field of Boaz, who was a wealthy relative of her father-in-law. And I love also, it just happened that Boaz arrives in the field the same day. It's just awesome how God happens things. So this is what Boaz says to Ruth. I know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And I think the key here for me is that Ruth came to know God through Elimelech and her husband and the family. But I think she also knew that if she didn't go with Naomi, she would never know God any better. And so she went with Naomi to seek refuge under the wings of God. 
And so Ruth loved God. That was at the center of her love for Naomi. I was asked uh, to write an article on success in the Bible. And I thought, I've never thought, I mean, the Bible doesn't promote success. Uh, In Joshua, it says you'll have good success if you meditate on the word of God day and night. The Bible's view of success is totally different from ours. But then I thought, all right, how does the world define success? Uh, You're wealthy. You have position. You're prominent. uh, You have a billion people watch you get married. (laughs) Uh, you've arrived. And so then, of course, as I said, Ruth is one of my favorite. And I thought of Ruth. You know what? Ruth married a wealthy man. She was the great-grandmother of King David. And she has a book of the Bible named after her. I think she's pretty successful. Even in the world's eyes. But again, the key to her being, quote, unquote, successful is her death to herself and her desire to love, to love God and to love Naomi. I I like um, after they have their first child, Obed, the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. That is an incredible tribute to Ruth's love. Other people could see her love. We talked about that last night. People ought to be able to look at us and say... There's something different about you. So Ruth, Ruth loved. And I think she's a great example for her, for us, because she loved in a hard situation, very hard situation. She chose to do what was right before God. And God blessed her. And to say you're better than seven sons, I mean, in the Middle East, Sons are it. And for her, I, I like Paul Miller said, the women gave Ruth the equivalent of a 12th century B.C. Oscar. <laughs> Isn't that great? Ruth loved sacrificially and unconditionally. My, uh, I have a very close friend named Diane, and she learned to love her mother-in-law And I just want to share a little bit with you what she wrote. My mother-in-law came to live with us at the age of 79. That's, That's how old I am. We had been married for nine years and had four small children. Mom was determined to get as much attention as possible from my busy doctor husband who was rarely at home. She would rise early, four or five in the morning, and start banging a spoon on the kitchen table, announcing that it was time for her coffee. She insisted on never being alone, which meant I couldn't even go to the bathroom alone. Diane, followed by knocks on the door, could be heard throughout the house. 
Carpools were not immune to her either. She became a fixture in the front passenger seat with her hand on the horn if I walked a child inside and took too long. When buying clothes, I would find a comfy chair for her in the shoe department before heading out. Ten minutes later, I would inevitably hear my name paged over the loudspeaker system. (laughs) She was a case. And now... So after talking with my friend, I wrote this. Diane tried to love her mother-in-law, but nothing my friend did ever pleased her. On the outside, Diane went through the motions, but inside she seethed with resentment. One night after Diane had been awakened by a phone call, she could not go back to sleep. So she decided to spend time with the Lord and his word. She read the crucifixion story where Jesus commits his mother, Mary, to the care of disciple John. Diane writes, With great tenderness and compassion, Christ says to John, Here is your mother. Tears filled my eyes and my heart burned as my Lord said to me, Here is your mother. Was I not also a disciple? Was I not also commanded to love others as he had loved me? My heart changed that night. God gave me his heart for mom. That's what it is to love. Sacrificially and unconditionally. I've always struggled with God's command to love. I mean, there's only only two commands to love God and to love others only two and they involve love and so because I want to obey God I I would tell him God okay if you want me I of course I love you uh and you all have been most gracious about saying how much I have a heart for women you all I I don't I uh I am like peanut, like Charlie Brown. He says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <clears throat> I mean, I, I am not loving. I am not kind. And um, I, the only reason I am here is because I love God. And, and because then, so see, the, the, my thinking is, okay, God, I love you, and you've commanded me to love other people, so I'm going to love other people because they need love. And so over the years, what I've learned is God commands us to love because it's the best thing for us. It has nothing to do with you all. I love this. I love this. Uh, Proverbs eleven seventeen. Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. Isn't that amazing? I mean, the principle of that. God says, I want you to love because I want the very best life for you. And when you love, you are nourished. I mean, we feel good when we've been nice to someone, don't we? Or we've been kind. And so... I love God. I, I just, I can't believe how he works 
and how he, his whole intent is really our welfare. We sang that this morning. He, he works all things together for good. It's for our, to prosper and to give us our welfare. And when he asks us to love, it's because he loves us and wants us to experience the best. So if we are to love as Jesus loved, at the heart of Jesus' love is forgiveness. Hugh Black said this, We have cause to suspect our religion if it does not make us gentle and forbearing and forgiving. I uh, read this thought from Alicia Galatis, and I just thought she said it so well. I could totally identify with her. I sit slumped forward, discouraged, and hope runs thin as I replay the conversation. Why did I choose to be annoyed? Why did I choose to speak harshly? Why did I choose to let it get under my skin instead of absorbing the offense? I know there's a time to stick up for myself or clarify another's misconception. But there's also a time to choose to let things go, to absorb the insult, to respond with grace and kindness, even though it seems so contrary to my natural response. I'm a Christian. I have a new heart and one that is not of stone, but is of flesh. This new heart is supposed to be soft and loving, and my speech is supposed to be seasoned with grace I continually think about the same conversation and I hear the unkind, impatient words that I spoke. Where is the softness? Where is the grace? But grace. Sin is ugly and glaring, but it will not control, nor will it have the final say. Sin that leads to sorrow that brings me to Christ upon that cross that softens my heart in repentance that allows me to find forgiveness that covers me in his grace. And so she goes on and um, she said, my mind returns to that recent conversation where I fell so short of the mark, where I was cold and annoyed and impatient and unloving. I can't help but think how it's altogether effortless to be gracious in the, in the easy moments, but that it is a testimony to his goodness when graciousness abounds in difficulty, when graciousness marks me even when I'm responding to unkindness. I'm reasonably good at loving people when they're shown love towards me. I often fall, fail at loving people well when they hurt me. There's nothing remarkable in the former. There's something uniquely Christian in the latter. I speak these words to someone I love. It was wrong to be short-tempered, to be unkind to you. I should have been gracious. I have every reason in the world to be gracious. Will you forgive me? I think I know when I'm operating in God's love, when I respond to someone instead of react to them. Yeah. 
Amy Carmichael said this, if a sudden jar can cause me to speak an impatient, unloving word, then I know nothing of Calvary love. 1 John 4, 9 through 11, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Ephesians 1, 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Forgiveness is a vital part of God's love for us. And if we are to love as Jesus loved, which is what he did, he died to forgive us our sins, then that is an important part of our love for other people. I like... um, Psalm 133 and 4 in the message. If you, God, kept a record on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. And, and you all, this forgiveness needs to be our habit. If we're to love as Jesus loved. Matthew six twelve. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Uh, How often have you prayed the Lord's Prayer? And I love, it says, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. It means that that's what we do. Forgive us as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Mark eleven twenty five. when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. You all, that's an incredible verse. Do you understand that? If we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's that we block his forgiveness by our anger and our resentment and our holding on to hurts. It's very crucial that we forgive. So, this is the wonderful thing. Dear friends, Romans 12, 19, never avenge yourselves, leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance, I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. He does. Abigail is a great example. Her story, remember her husband Nabal was was, uh, uncouth and selfish and wouldn't help David and his men and drunk and everything and and, uh, as you know the story but ultimately Abigail intercedes and and keeps David from killing him Nabal and all the men in her household and 10 days later Nabal dies I mean it was like I will take vengeance I will repay it those who deserve it I mean this is God's part in our life 
He is our father and he will protect us and he will repay those who deserve it in his way and in his time. I like uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Alexander, the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him. (laughs) It's okay to pray that when someone hurts you, but you all, you don't have to do it yourself. In fact, God doesn't want you to do it yourself. He, as Paul gave him to God, forgiving someone doesn't free them from the consequences, but it does free the forgiver. Bitterness is as rottenness to the bones. When we are bitter and resentful and hold on to anger and hurts, it's, it's not good for us. It's not good for us emotionally or physically or spiritually. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. It is a choice. And repentance is not necessary for forgiveness. Forgiveness essentially is between you and God. It has nothing to do with the offender. As we said in praying after Jesus taught This is the way you're supposed to pray. He said, and you must forgive others or your father will not forgive you. So it's essentially, this is a transaction between us and God. Are we willing to forgive the person and release that person from our lives? I think it was Ann Lander said, forgiveness is letting the prisoner free and realizing you were the prisoner. (laughs) He or she who angers you controls you. You've given them, I, I, I think it's Neil Anderson said, you've given them a hook in your life. You're hooked to them if you do not forgive them. I was reading several stories of people who forgave. And this one woman went through, I think it was 10 years of just hating the man who murdered her daughter. And she finally went to a church and heard about forgiveness and uh, She went to the man and visited him in jail, and they both wept. And she said, this is her words, forgiveness was the greatest gift I ever gave myself. This was a letter from someone wrote who was a survivor of sexual abuse. I do not believe that my family deserves forgiveness. But that is not the point. I long to be free from the bitterness and rage that were destroying me. Slowly, I began to open myself up to the possibility of forgiveness. And my life began to change. God softened my heart and filled me with love. It was like opening the windows on a beautiful spring day. I believe that forgiveness is part of the healing process and is itself a process. Forgiveness has little to do with your abuser. Forgiveness is about freedom from destructive thoughts and emotions. Forgiveness is about fellowship with God. Floyd McClung has said this. I don't know if I can, can you see? It doesn't matter. Sometimes forgiveness is a process. If we have been deeply hurt, it takes time for the wound to heal. 
In this case, forgiveness acts as a continual cleansing of the wound so that it can heal properly. When feelings of hurt and resentment well up, we must reaffirm our commitment to forgive. It is not that the first act of forgiveness was invalid, but that an ongoing process may be necessary until we are completely healed. So I think this was very freeing for me to know that forgiveness can be a process and we just keep bringing it back to God. And uh, I, I just think this is very, very helpful. So I want to ask you all, remember the story in scripture where the Pharisees find this woman who was committing adultery and take her, yank her out, drag her to where Jesus is teaching. And I I just envision them throwing her at his feet and say, teacher, this woman was taken in the very act of adultery. The law says to stone her, what do you say? And the Pharisees could have cared less about that woman. They were using her to get to Jesus. And they didn't care if she died or not, if she were stoned or not. And, And I love the story. You know, Jesus doesn't say anything for a while. He just kneels down and, writes in the sand. I've thought of, um, I thought if I had been that woman, my heart was probably beating out of my chest and my eyes were closed and I was absolutely in terror of what was going to happen. And, And, you know, we know the story. Jesus beautifully says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then these men are convicted and they leave. And, and I, as far as I'm concerned, because I feel like that woman's eyes were closed. This is why Jesus says, women, where are your accusers? Because <laughs> I don't even think she knew they'd left. I mean, she might have, but that's just me. Anyway. And uh, he said, I don't accuse you either, but go and sin no more. Now, so, but this is my question. Did this woman who was so frightfully used and abused by the Pharisees, did she forgive the Pharisees? As far as I'm concerned, she did. Why? Because she had been forgiven by Jesus. You all, that's the deal. We have been forgiven. That's why we forgive. George Herbert said this. He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself for every man has need to be forgiven. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for one another's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. 
Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You all, that's the word of God. Paul David Tripp. I love this. Here's the plan. A God of grace makes his invisible grace visible by sending his people of grace to reflect his grace to people who need grace. Isn't that wonderful? You've been called to be the look on his face, the tone of his voice, and the touch of his hand. You are to represent his presence and his love. You are placed where you are to make his mercy and faithfulness visible and concrete. What a plan. Let's pray. Father, we just want to take a few minutes just to be still before you and just ask you to speak to our hearts about what you want us to pay attention to, to what you have said to us this morning. Lord, um, maybe we just need to evaluate how loving we really are, especially to those who are closest to us. And Father, more than anything, we need to ask you, is there someone we need to forgive? Lord, that you would give us your grace and um, peace about doing this, of releasing someone, Father, that we have, have not forgiven. So Lord, speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Father, thank you that you are love. Thank you that forgiveness is a vital part of your love. Thank you that you've forgiven us, Father. Thank you. Father, I just pray you would help us to become more loving in every way to all we meet. Father, we want to love like Jesus. We just pray that in his name. Amen. Amen.